Amen, amen, amen. Let's give uh, the Lord another hand praise, if we would, please. I don't even know if I need to preach right now, man. If that song doesn't get you fired up, I think you should check yourself and figure out why, and then come back and see us, amen? Um, anyways, my name is Jake. I get the honor and joy of being one of the pastors here at Redeemer City Church. Um, when Mitch calls and says, hey, man, do you want to preach this Sunday? I'm ready to clear my schedule, whatever I'm going to do, because my schedule involves being here every Sunday anyways, right? So um, anyways, we're coming right off the heels uh, of a sermon series called All That Matters. And Mitch discussed uh, a lot of things going on here at the church, how we're trying to grow and expand, how we're trying to fill these seats, how we're basically trying to find new believers, right? We're trying to convert souls from death to life and bring them uh, into the peace and what we have and what we enjoy every day. In our lives. Amen. And I wanted to start off because, um, see where I come from, from Ohio, and I came from a, uh, a church there where I, I studied with some real hellfire and brimstone uh, types of pastors. Uh, Pastor Jay, who some of you have met, uh, will run up and down the aisles and don't close your eyes. Don't, don't be doing one of those because he will run over and go, hello, like right in your face. Right. And I'm not joking at all. This is not a joke. And he has a suit on. And he's about this tall. And he's an angry little man when he's preaching, running up and down the aisles. And I love him to death. But that's where I came from. So a message like this, my, my wife gave me some great advice. And uh, like most wives do, amen. And, um, and she told me to preach from love. So I'm going to try that with this message today. All right. But what I need you to do first is I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. This is real quick, I promise. And where I come from, there's a little thing called putting your dukes up. Does anybody know what putting your dukes up means? So put your dukes up. I want everybody to put their dukes up right now. Okay? Because in about five minutes, you're all going to want to come at me like this. All right? So I want you to put them up now. And I just want you to shake them off in the name of Jesus. All right? And then I want you just to close your eyes just real quick for one moment while we pray. All right? Father God, we come to you now, Lord. In love, Father God, this is your word. This is your scripture. It's what you showed us how to live our lives, Father God. I pray that we would just shake off the urge to fight this. Lord God, this is a a scripture that's really going to do some things in some people today. Lord, and I'm really excited that I get the opportunity that that you called me um, to, to preach this message, Father God. I pray that we would receive it that we would understand it and that we would be forever changed because of it. And I pray that we would receive this message from you in love. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, you can be seated. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Pastor Paul says, Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel, right? So I'm going to preach the gospel here this morning, all right? But remember, dukes are down. You can't come at me after the sermon, all right? All, all that I want to hear is that the word of God changed some things in you. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to come out fire and I'm going to ask you a few questions. Um, our text is going to be out of the book of Mark. We're starting a sermon series leading right up to Easter out of the book of Mark. We're going to explore his gospel um, right up until uh, Christ, uh, his eventual death and resurrection. Amen. Um, so right out of the gate, you come to some stories about Jesus, right? what he's doing, who he's hanging out with, who he's spending his time with, all right? The majority of Jesus' time wouldn't have been spent in a room like this with a bunch of other people who were of one mind and one accord. Most of the time, he was spending his time with sinners. So I uh, pose a question to you, a couple of questions. Are you a friend of sinners? And I've titled this sermon, Jesus, the Friend of Sinners, um, because that's what he was called. That's what he was eventually killed for, Um, So are you a friend of sinners? Do you spend time with people who do not know Christ? And if we knew the way that they lived our lives would be highly offensive and highly controversial to this church. Do you spend time with people like that? Do you love people like that? Do you care for people like that? Do you reach out to sinners? Do you go to their homes? Do you go to their uh, places of residence, their places of work, the places where they dine, the places where they hang out? Do you love them? Do you seek them? See, this is what Jesus was known for, ultimately. He was known as a friend of sinners, okay? 
the, the, there's a big misconception in the church that they killed Jesus because they actually thought that he had more power than them. They killed Jesus because he wouldn't adhere to their rules. That's why they killed him. They would have loved to have him on their team. But you see, he was going around and he was hanging out with lepers and letting them touch him, right? Which was highly controversial, by the way. We glaze over that scripture and we say, well, he healed somebody. That's amazing. But in that time, it was extremely controversial that he would let that person touch him. Throughout the ministry, he repeatedly dines with, walks with, hangs out with, laughs with, jokes with, and loves sinners. And that's what we're called to do. Now, we're preaching out of Mark, but I'm actually going to start in Luke, all right? Which Ben, as we were putting the scriptures in, Ben's like, wait a minute, you're preaching out of Mark, but you're giving me a bunch of Luke scriptures. We're going to get to Mark, I promise. But what I want to do is I want to lay a, a groundwork, a foundation to show you who Jesus was. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 36, and we'll get started. on my way. Isn't that nice, the turn of the pages? Don't judge me, those of you who hit a button. I don't want to... I don't need that, okay? Judge me for other things, but don't judge me because I can't just hit a button. There you go. There it is. Who has their Bible in their hand? Hold it up. No, no, no. I see phones going up. I saw phones, Ben. See me in the morning. (laughs) So Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50, Jesus shows in this story how he has come for the broken, rejected, and despised. And I'm just going to read through it, and then we're going to break it down quickly and move on. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought in an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, now I want you to remember, he said it to himself, okay? He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is. Who is touching him? And also, you see, he's not referring to him as God. He's saying if he were a prophet, not if he were God. Okay? He would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him. Right? So imagine imagine that, church. I want you to imagine that. So he's thinking, man, this guy doesn't know nothing. He claims to be a prophet, but he doesn't even know what this woman is. And Jesus is like, actually, uh, you know, and he starts speaking. So... Jesus answers him and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender, and then Jesus just starts teaching. I love it. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, Jesus enters into a self-righteous Pharisee's house who undoubtedly invited him in to find a reason to accuse him, right? That's why he brought him in. He didn't bring him in so that he could get to know him a little better or maybe decide whether or not he believed what he was doing. He was bringing him in to find a flaw, right? A chink in his armor. That's why he brought him in. And then immediately this woman, this 
woman of the, of the city, right? We know what that means. I'm not going to break it down for you. If you don't, don't Google it. I was going to say Google it. Maybe <laughs> don't Google woman of the city. Um, unless you have like parental blocks on your phone or like covenant eyes or something. But don't, don't Google that. But a woman of the city, ask somebody next to you. There's a lot of people in here who probably know what that means. And she comes up and starts to worship him, right? And then Jesus has this amazing opportunity within this house to not only tell this woman that she will be forgiven of her sins, right? That's the most important thing that he could have told her at that time. You're forgiven of your sins. And then this Pharisee had the opportunity to, to then hear the gospel. Amen. And God was able to break it down for him right there. I call Jesus God because Jesus is God in this moment, right? This is what he's killed for is because he's forgiving people of their sins. That's a real problem in the day. You see, in the modern day church, and this one, pull your feet under your chair if you need to. Um, we come together um, and we, we do this, right? And this is great. And we meet like this. We have this gigantic group of people. And this is a big group of people. Don't be wrong. If, if Mitch needs to throw those pictures up of a few years ago when there was a handful of us under a pavilion somewhere. This is a big, big group of people. It might not be a big church in the, in the world's eyes, but we're a big church in my eyes. And uh, amen. <laughs> amen. So we have this group of people. And what do we do? We get together on Sundays and we study the gospel together, right? Sometimes some of us get together during the week and we have city group or Bible study. Okay. A um, couple times a year, we volunteer somewhere, right? We go to an organization that has it all set up and we volunteer. And from the world's point of view, we're living a pretty good Christian life, right? But you see, that's not what God called us to. It's just not. And I'm sorry if that hurts. I'm sorry if that offends you. That's part of it. Yes, he called us to community. Yes, he called us to church. Yes, he called us to praise him. And yes, he called us to study his word. But he also called us to do a lot more than that. And, you know, recently we were just talking about church and friends and family and whatnot. And we came to a realization that outside of here, we don't really have anybody. <laughs> I mean, honestly, and that's, that's a truth that, that we've realized. These are our friends. This is our family. You know, we have family in Ohio, but in Florida, this is it. We don't have any friends outside of here. And you know what? That's not a bad thing, but unfortunately, it's not what God called us to. If we want to live in the image of Jesus, Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. He went and he sat with them. He hung out with them, right? So, yes, he called us to all these things. However, we can't take just those things that are comfortable and forget about the things that are uncomfortable. Because he called us to do a lot of uncomfortable things as well. He called us to share the gospel with sinners. He called us to share the gospel with sinners, not the righteous, with sinners. Okay? So to do that, that takes effort. That takes a little bit of uncomfortable feeling, right? It doesn't feel good. It's, it's nerves. It's fear. You know, the number one reason people don't share the gospel? Because they're afraid that they'll have the wrong answer. Right? They're afraid that someone will ask them a question. It's not judgment. It's not judgment. That's second. But number one, the number one reason people don't share the gospel is because they're afraid that they won't have the right answer to somebody's question. How sad is that? We have all of the answers right here. And you know what? If somebody asks you a question and you don't know it at that exact moment, it's real easy. Here's what you say. All right. If, you, if, if this convicts you and you're like, I'm going to go share the word to sinners and you don't have the right answer, you say, I don't have that answer right now, but the Bible has it and I will find it and I will get back to you. All right. It's very easy. Amen. Very easy thing to do. There is one of the most famous atheists in our country. And, and you guys have probably heard this Pendulette, uh, Penn and Teller, right? This idea of sharing the gospel with sinners, Christians doing that is the reason why he's an atheist is because he believes that we don't do that. So he believes that if we have the keys to eternity and we choose to not share it with others, how badly do we hate that person? that we wouldn't tell them about eternity. That's the reason he chooses to not only dislike Christians or dislike the faith, but to go completely against it. 
That's his reason. Loving sinners, hanging out with sinners. The three stories that we're going to talk about today shows Jesus clearly doing that. We spend so much time with each other, okay? And, and it's good. We should spend a lot of time with each other. But we should spend equal or more time with others, okay? Spending time with each other is a good thing. We need to be here, okay? Church is amazing. It's where we need to come and get filled up. We need to sing songs. We need to cry out to God. We need to hear a word from the man that he sent to shepherd us, right? Amen? So that's why we do that. But how can we possibly, possibly complete the Great Commission if we're not out witnessing? How can we do that? We can't do that. And that's the commandment that Jesus gave us. He didn't give it to us while he was first walking around. He gave it to us after he had been brutally murdered in front of the believers at the time, put into a a tomb, and then came out. And that's when he told us. I think we should take that pretty serious. Right? Those are some good final words before going to heaven. Amen, church? So we're going to jump into the text. Mark chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. Now, I know that your note sheets are blank, okay? That's my fault. I was out of town this week and doing some other things. But uh, I'm still going to encourage you to write some things down, okay? So I know that you see the, the heading there in the scripture. So underneath that, I'm going to have you write a few things down. So those of you real American human being note takers, grab your pen and your paper. The other ones of you that like to put everything into a chip, do that. Amen. Not judging, Amy, because you're a chip person. I'm a paper person. Yes, you should see my office. Ben says you should see his office. Ben works for me. You guys don't know that. He's kind of like, I mean, he has a title, but I, I, if, if you were to ask me what Ben does, he's basically my assistant. <laughs> it's true. And any, any good assistant would make sure the boss's office was clean, right? Amen. Uh, You know, so no more backhanded comments, Ben. Just take some notes. Grab some paper. (laughs) But Mark chapter (laughs) 2, verses 13 through 17. Let's read and then we'll break down this text of, of what Jesus has shown us how to live our lives. He went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, there he is again, right? They're talking, they're not even talking to Jesus. So, but when he hears it, he's answering, whether it's in his head or out loud. Uh, so when he heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. So there's three groups of people. And I want you guys to write this down. There's three groups of people in this story that Jesus is speaking to. Number one is the unlikely. All right? The unlikely. Number two, and the unlikely, you can write next to it, verse 13 and 14. Number two is the undesirable. And that's coming out of verse 15. And we're going to break this all down. And number three is the spiritually unhealthy. And that's verse 16 and verse 17. And then as we look at this, there's two questions that I want to ask you, and I want you to write these down as well, and I want you to consider them. Number one, with whom do I most identify? I being you. With whom of those three groups do you most identify? And number two, am I loving and serving sinners like Jesus? Am I loving and serving sinners like Jesus? So let's break that down. And if you want to take notes in between here, I'm going to break down those three 
character groups, and we're going to talk a little bit about them. Number one, Jesus calls the unlikely to follow him. Verse 13 and 14. He went out again beside the sea. I want to stop right there. He went out again beside the sea, right? How could Jesus have possibly even done this had he not went out to preach again? Amen? So Jesus is out and he's doing what he's given us the portrait to do, right? To go out and preach. That's what he wants. He doesn't want us just to sit here. You know, Mitch talked before and and, uh, talked just the other day, but our our first sermon series was uh, soldiers, not scholars, right? Or soldiers or scholars. Which one are you going to be? We need soldiers out preaching the word, right? So Jesus is outside teaching among among the people and he comes in contact with Levi. Um, Verse 14. It says that he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed me. Now, Levi is Matthew, right? And Levi was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors back in the day, I want you to understand the way that this worked. They basically were buying a franchise from Rome, okay? If you want to look at it that way, those of you who know business or know franchises or or things like that, they were essentially buying into the Roman franchise of tax collecting. Okay, they would get their spot and they would get a quota that they had to meet. Now, the the citizens didn't know what that quota was. Right. So the tax collectors had an opportunity, just like people nowadays who sell or who uh, do loans. You know, you can mark up interest rates. If anybody's buying a house or has by did mortgages for a while, make sure that you're getting the interest rate that you qualify for, because they can mark it up a hair and make a lot of money on the back. And you don't even know about it. Okay. Still going on today. Bible's still relevant. All right. Not saying mortgage brokers are bad people or anything like that. All right. Um, but anyways, tax collectors, they were IRS agents, essentially. Right. And they sat and they stole off of people that they knew, loved, grew up with, were family with. All right. Some of the ways that, that uh, tax collectors were considered, um, they were a disgrace to their families. Right. Once you chose to do this, you were basically exiled from your family you were spoken in the same breath as murderers and rapists now i want you to understand how low they considered tax collectors at this time you were considered that okay the the touch of a tax collector when you went and you paid your taxes you set your money down you didn't hand it to them all right because if you touched one your home was considered unclean and there were repercussions for that right so you didn't touch a tax collector all right This is what they were considered in this time. And this is who Jesus calls the unlikely, right? And then this amazing scene unfolds where he walks by this person, all right? Now, you got to understand, when you wanted to walk by this person, you didn't want to stop and talk to this person. And if you think of the context of how Jesus calls him, he says, follow me. Think about this. Think about how amazing this would have looked, all right? Here's Jesus once again defying what what reality was at that time okay this isn't what you're supposed to do and he walked over and he said follow me and he got up and followed him all right and other gospels had said and confirmed that matthew actually left everything that he had behind and followed him he left it and followed jesus what an amazing scene you see he sees him and he doesn't see him for what he is he doesn't see a sinner in need of salvation, or he sees a sinner in need of salvation, not a low life deserving condemnation. This is how Jesus sees him sitting there at that moment. You see, we walk up and down streets and not only here, but in other places in our work and other places. And we see sinners. All right. And I'm just going to say it. We see sinners who deserve condemnation. All right. We were hanging out the other day in the, the, um, Michael Jackson documentary that's on TV came up and we were talking about it. And when I hear things like that, I want to hurt somebody. Just going to be totally honest with you, you know, and that's the old Jake coming out. But what Jesus wants is to help that person, regardless of what they've done. And when we're going to try to act like Jesus, that's what we need. And I want you to imagine that. Years ago when we were in Ohio, there was a horrible story of some high school football players that did some pretty horrible things to a young lady at a party. And it made national news. It was in a little town in Ohio. And they were locked up in a facility that I would preach at sometimes. And they spent a little bit of time there and then moved on to another facility. And when I first heard the story having daughters, the things that went through my mind were really bad. And, and Jesus made me want to talk to those kids. 
He made me want to talk to them. You know? Because that's what they need. You see, that's what those kids need. In a society that's telling them that they're doing everything right because they could throw a ball and one could run a ball. And the coach actually went and advocated for these two young men to the young woman's father and said, please drop these charges so that our kids can go to to college and play football. This is the society that we live in, okay? This is the society that Jesus walked around in back then. That tax collector was looked at as less than human. He was looked at as a murderer. His touch was considered a curse. And Jesus loved him. He loved him. So again, are you a friend of sinners? The second group is the undesirable. Jesus calls the undesirable to follow him. And if you read verse 15 again, it says, And he reclined at table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. So Jesus was able to reach one tax collector, right? Just one. Just Levi. Matthew. And now here he is in Matthew's house. It says that they reclined in his house, right? And most likely they were having a party. They were most likely having a party, a celebration. At some point in Levi's time, it was, it was assumed that he had been feeling convicted about the path that he chose to walk down, okay? He had felt some remorse, some shame, um, probably missing love, probably missing uh, community, friendship, you know? And Jesus comes along and says, follow, follow me. And I'm sure he had heard of Jesus at the time, right? And he chose to follow, but through that one opportunity to witness to one person, Jesus was now able to sit at a dinner table with all of these rejects, right? All of these castaways, all of these people that nobody wanted anything to do with, all right? Because you think these tax collectors and these sinners, that means they would have been outcasts, right? They would have been outside of the city or they would have came in the city and worked. But you also have to think that they had money, right? Levi probably wasn't poor. He probably had a decent house and some decent things because of the, the way that he chose to live his life. And now Jesus has this opportunity to meet with them and to disciple and to witness to them before leaving. And I just I want to try to paint a picture to you guys of what this looks like today. Because you see, what we automatically assume is the poor, right? The poor. That's who needs Jesus. We live in a society where, even a city, where we walk outside and we see people sleeping on the street. And we're like, they need Jesus. Right? But you don't think people living in $5 million mansions on the water need Jesus? Right? And they might even, arguably, need him more. Because they're being told by society that they are everything that we should want to be. Right? We're, they're what we should strive for. We should try to amass as much money as we possibly can. We should try to get the biggest house that we can possibly have. We should try to have the nicest, most cars that we could have. And I'm not saying that any of that stuff is wrong. Having those things is not wrong, right? Not saying that. I'm saying that. Not saying that it's wrong. But what you're supposed to do, on the other hand, is serve, right? Your, your money, your time, your things are supposed to be a service opportunity for God, right? We have good friends in the church who have nice boats and they like to take friends fishing as a service to God. (laughs) But you see, Jesus was able to have influence in an arena where if he wasn't a friend to one sinner, he would have never had that opportunity. He would have never had the chance. And as a side note, it sounds like Jesus was kind of getting along with these guys, right? He wasn't looking down his nose at them and telling them they were all going to hell. He was kicked back at the table eating with them, right? He was meeting somebody in their area, in their place where they were at that time in their life, and he was loving them. That's what ministry is, church. I want you to understand that. Now, hopefully after this and you go and start hanging out with sinners, right? Because we finished this series about all that matters and you know, we want to grow. Mitch talked about this wall, and, and he's going to talk a little bit about it in a little bit. But you know how we fill this church? 
with conversions. That's how it was filled in Acts. We're looking for souls that were brought to life from death. Amen? That's what we want to fill this place with. Okay? We don't just want people who found a, a better church. Okay? Because better churches means that you're serving yourself. You're looking for what makes you more comfortable, makes you happier, what makes you feel a little better. Well, they have, uh, what coffee do we have? Huh? The lab. Well, they have uh, the lab coffee. Well, they have uh, caffeine roasters. You know, so I like caffeine roasters better, so I'm going to that church. Uh, their pastor wears salmon-colored shirts, not salmon-colored shirts. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I like pastors that wear salmon-colored shirts. (laughs) But it's all a convenience to us, right? Even in our service, I don't don't need you to show hands or anything, but who would have walked in there and, and sat there in this room? You know, there's been a an an old topic of conversation amongst churches for years if jesus showed up would you let him in because you got to think about what that meant at that time right there's a reason peter denied him because just his association with him would have got him killed there's a reason that all of these guys lost their lives right because declaring christ as god got them killed right so i want you to think about that meal Here's Jesus and his group of undesirable friends, right? Because these weren't clergy and holy men at the time that were following him. These were guys that had chose to cast all of their cares on him, right? And all of their trust in him. So here's Jesus's undesirable group of friends. And then here's Levi and his undesirable group of friends, right? And then we see the third group come in, which is the unhealthy, right? So Jesus calls the unhealthy to follow him. In verse 16 we meet this group of people called the Pharisees, right? And the Pharisees were a sect of Jews known for their strict devotion to the law. So they had been proven wrong or didn't like Jesus' answers so many times to the questions that he had posed them or had spoken out loud that he decides to talk to the disciples instead, right? And he says, so they're not going to talk directly to Jesus. They're going to come over here and talk to Jesus' friends, right? So they come over and they talk to, to the disciples. And when Jesus heard... He answers them and he says this. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you think about this, he compares those who are well with the Pharisees, those who think that they are righteous, self-righteous human beings. They check the boxes, right? In their mind, they're checking the boxes to go to heaven. All right. They're going to church. Check. Now pull your feet under. Going to city group. Check. Hopefully you guys all have that box checked. <laughs> they're tithing. Check. A couple times a year they're serving at Salvation Army. Check. Right? So they have the boxes checked. But you see what Jesus is calling is a group of people who don't have any of the boxes checked. He's calling a group of people who only have him. That's what he needs. He needs us to rely heavily on him in everything. In our finances, in our studies, in our work, in everything that we do. That's what he needs. But this group of people here checked the boxes themselves. They had done it all. You know, they had taken what they needed to do and they had completed it. And now they were so righteous that they're standing outside of this house, mocking this group of people inside of this house. Okay? Now, when we see people convert from death to life, we celebrate. We get very excited about that, right? It's a good thing. It's the best thing, right? They say the angels rejoice in heaven, that there's a party going on. So they're having this party, right? And then here's this group of people that come up and mock them. And I, I want to go back to Luke chapter 15. And I want to share another story with you of Jesus's ministry and what Jesus has to say about topics like this. So Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 7. And it says, Now the, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near 
to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. All right, here's the same scene, right? Here's the same scene. Here's the sinners and the tax collectors and Jesus talking to them. And then there's the Pharisees grumbling under their breath, right? So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, who lays it on his shoulders rejoicing? And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. And I want you to consider that. I want you to consider Jesus' words. Okay? And we need to consider Jesus' words in everything that we do. Jesus rejoices more over one sinner coming to salvation, giving their heart to him, giving their life to him, turning everything over to him and saying, I can't do this without you. Right? That's what we should strive for. That's what we should be determined to achieve every day in our life. If one day goes by where you're not sharing the gospel with somebody who needs it, that's one lost opportunity. Do you understand that? That's an opportunity lost. It's not about more, 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 more while I'm here until I get there. For you, that's not what it's about. It's not about that for me. It's about an opportunity that when you're at work or when you're at lunch or dinner or you're doing whatever recreational things that you're into, whatever it might be, that in every one of those moments you have a chance to tell somebody that you are a follower of God, right? I am who you say I am. Let's stand on those principles, church. Jesus calls you. My, my friend in the back there was asking me how I, when I decided to become a pastor. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't decide that. God did. All right? And Mitch, you know, a lot of people know the story. Okay? There was an incredible change in my life that only God could be responsible for. I couldn't do it. Even if me today went back to me when I was 13 and said, this is what's going to happen. Don't do that. I'd be like, that idiot doesn't know what he's talking about. And I would do it. You know what I mean? But what we don't see when we look at sinners, we see their sin instead of the whole body of work. Right? My life didn't begin today. It didn't begin last week. It didn't begin five years ago. Right? There was a huge story of the life of Jacob George Ludwig that led to where I ended up. You see, we see babies and we say, oh, we want to do everything to help those babies. Right? We love those babies. They're so innocent and they're so sweet, except for some of the people in the church's babies. I'm just joking. I love all the babies. But we see them and and we're, we're willing to do anything for them. We're willing to lay down our lives and die for them, right? Like literally, I could, I could name to you thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of pastors who would die today to end abortion in this country. I'm one of them. You can put me on that list and I'm not saying that for this or anything. It's despicable. It's disgusting. And I have no problem saying that here. I hope nobody else has a problem with that. But we're willing to die for them. Then when they get a little bit older, we say, man, that's a bad kid. That parent should beat that kid. Right? We all do it. Right? Look at that kid, man. If they just smack him once, he'd be all right. Right? Am, am, I, am I preaching here to somebody? Is this the truth? I'm not lying to you. And then when they're teenagers, we're like, that juvenile delinquent deserves everything that he has coming to him. Right? We slowly change, and it's the opposite way. Instead of our our grace and our compassion and our love growing, it trickles away. Why is that? Why? If anybody has the answer, please tell me. I'm wondering. Because I was that juvenile delinquent, and I still do it sometimes. Right? I see people on the news doing horrible things, and I'm like, they don't deserve anything. But why do we do that? This isn't what Jesus showed us. It's not what we were led to do if we are following in his footsteps. So how do we do this? How do we do all of the things that Jesus has called us to do? First, I want you to understand something very important before I get to the final point. And my final point 
is before this ever happened, if you go back in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is preaching in Peter's house, and he's telling stories, and four men lower a paralyzed man down from the ceiling so that Jesus can heal them, heal him, right? And Jesus tells the man, you are forgiven of your sins, right? Why would he do that before he taught the man to walk or healed the man so that he could walk? Because that's the picture. That's it. I'm pretty sure a show of hands would show that we all believe that we're all going to die one day, right? Does everybody understand that in here? We're all going to die one day, right? Do we all believe? (laughs) Eric's like, not me, baby. (laughs) We all believe in one of two places we're going, right? If we don't believe that, you need to come to one of these Bible studies. We're all going somewhere, right? So what's the most important thing? Because guess what? Whether they believe it or not, they're all going somewhere too. Everybody is. We have an opportunity, as Penn Jillette put it, if I see somebody standing in a train track and there's a train barreling down towards them and they don't see it and I see it and I know that it's real, even if they say there's no train, I'm pushing them out of the way. You see, we all see a train barreling down the tracks at people. We know it's coming and we do nothing to help them. We do nothing to help them. Now, listen, I'm not saying that this is true for everybody in here. I know that people are doing good things. And I'm not saying that if you're not doing these things, that you're a bad person. I'm not saying any of that. I seriously, I want you to know that this is coming from a place of love. There's nothing greater than talking to somebody that you had an opportunity to share the gospel with. And now they're on fire for Jesus. There's no feeling like that. Listen, I've bought a brand new car and it was awesome. Felt great. I was like, man, this thing is cool. It's got all this stuff. (laughs) But nothing feels better than when you have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who was lost, who was hurting, who was hopeless, who had nothing to wake up for tomorrow. And you were able to share the love of Jesus with that person. And then you get to watch them grow. And it's amazing. And let me tell you something. If you think missing your game, or if you think missing a a date night, or if you think missing a concert, any of those things is more important than sharing the gospel with Jesus, you're wrong. There is no concert, no victory in a sporting event that you're not even playing in, by the way. No new shirt. (laughs) Nothing that can compare to the feeling that you get when Jesus uses you to deliver somebody from chains and from death. Amen? That's what he wants. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. He left us here so that we could have a part in bringing dead people to life. That's why we're here. This is great. And I just want to reiterate, I don't don't want anybody to to think, you know, oh, we don't need church. I'm not coming back to church. Listen, that's not what I'm saying. We need this. We need to be together in community. We need strength. We need encouragement. We need prayers. It's another thing. We need prayers. I need you guys to come up to me and ask me to pray for stuff. I need that. Okay? We need that. Listen, if there's stuff going on and we have to stay here till 5 o'clock and pray, we'll stay here till 5 o'clock and pray. All right? I don't know how long normal people can go without food, but I can go for a few hours at least. So if we need to put a few hours into praying, it'll be good. All right? It'll be great. But we need this. We need family. And you know why we need it? We need it so that we can build up to go out there and fight. Okay? We don't need it so that we can go home and sit in, in, you know, solitaire with our Christian people and never talk to anybody else. That's not what we need. Okay? That's not what we need. That's not what Jesus needs us for. If that's all that we were going to do, he'd just take us home now. Right? That's not why we're here. 
So how do we do this? How do we love sinners? How do we spend time and care for them? We seek the lost. We seek the lost. If you put up the scripture, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. It says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. That's how you do it. You become all things to all people that you might win some. Okay? You don't go and preach to somebody who has no hope that you're full of hope. You say, I understand what that feels like. I've been there. I know what it's like to not have hope. And you love them where they're at. If someone is weak and they're suffering, you say, I've too been weak and I've too suffered. And maybe you're suffering at that moment. And had you not talked to that person, you would have never known that they were suffering through the same thing that you're suffering through. You see, you love them. Jesus didn't tell us this was going to be easy. When Jesus said, love everyone, we should have known at that moment it was going to be really hard. Okay? My preaching to somebody. I know I'm not always easy to love. I can admit that. Amy didn't hear that either. I'm a perfect husband. <laughs> Just joking. Um, preach the gospel without shame. We put that, that last scripture up, Garrett. Preach the gospel without shame. It says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Gentile. Why are we ashamed of this? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So everybody, put them down. There's an old saying, right? Actions speak. How about if we get rid of the louder than words and we just say actions speak? How about if we do that? How about if that's how we live? Because if you say louder than words, then it's giving you an option to use words. Right? I'm going to use words now, and then later I'm going to use actions. And they're going to see how serious I was when I used those words. Right? How about actions speak? You can say I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but if you're not sharing it with anybody, why? Why aren't you sharing it? Is it because the hall's super duper cool and you're afraid that super duper cool people, I'm sorry, hip people, super duper cool was something we said in the 80s. <laughs> Rad was the 90s. <laughs> Think about all the opportunities that we have to share Jesus and share the gospel. Sinners aren't poor people. Sinners aren't just poor people. Sinners aren't just criminals. Sinners aren't just those who don't look like us. Sinners aren't just those who don't go to church. Right? Sinners are people just like these. This whole place. All right? We're all sinners saved by grace. We are all sinners saved by grace. I'm going to have the band come up. And I too just wanted to share a little bit about St. Patrick and St. Patrick's Day. A lot of people don't know. Mitch alluded to it with a salmon shirt. St. <laughs> Patrick was not Irish. He was English. Is that why the salmon shirt? Okay. Um, but he was taken as a slave to Ireland. And he spent years there as a slave in bondage, physical bondage. 
And one day he escaped from that slavery and he went back to his country. And he married and had kids and had a good life. I think he was, a, he was an elder in the church. His grandfather was an elder. His father was a deacon. And I believe he was an elder in the church as well. And he had a good life. And Jesus really put it on his heart that he needed to go and share the gospel. The, actually, the, the message that he preached was the Trinity, right? So that's where the shamrock comes into place. He took a shamrock, not a four-leaf clover, a shamrock, a three-leaf clover. And he went back and he preached the Trinity to the people, the exact people who had held him as a slave for so many years. And he talked about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And the one vein that connected the three of them, making them one. And that's what St. Patrick was about. So if you want to celebrate St. Patrick today, I encourage you to tell somebody about the Trinity. Tell somebody about the Gospel. Tell somebody about salvation. Tell them about grace. How beautiful is grace? How amazing, right? That's why we sing it. How amazing is grace? What a beautiful concept. Saved a wretch like me, right? But we've Americanized it. We've turned it green. We dye our rivers. We drink green beer. Never understood that one either. Hey, let's put some chemicals in this beer and drink it. <laughs> but, but we find a way to Americanize everything, don't we, church? Even this. We found a way to Americanize this. We get together, we hang out, talk about the Bible. What are we doing? What are we doing? Let's take this church back to the old church. Amen? Let's get out and let's start a revolution in this city. Let's hit the streets and tell people. I want to share with you guys a little something that the details aren't ironed out yet, but our city group is going to start a little canvassing project here in this church and start inviting people to church. We're going to set a day, we're going to get together, and we're going to spread out, right? We're going to go in that direction, that direction, that direction, and this direction with groups of people, and we're going to take invite cards. And we're going to take Easter invite cards. And we're going to carry our Bibles. And we're going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in this city. And we're going to invite them into community with us. Because if you want to celebrate St. Patrick today, you share the gospel with somebody. And if you want to celebrate Jesus every day, you share the gospel with somebody. You give somebody the opportunity to step out of death and into life. It gets me emotional because I experienced it. Somebody shared the gospel with me. And I was dead for a long time. And I got to step into life. And I get to live in that every day. And there's no other feeling like it in the world. I searched for it in many other places. And there's nothing that feels as good as the love of Jesus Christ. 